Good morning, everyone. Um, first, first, first of all, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and share God's word on my sabbatical. Uh, you know, actually, our sabbatical is in Christ, amen? And uh, in the light of uh, your church going through a transition and uh, the good news, I hear that uh, you finally found a pastor that will come and serve you. And so uh, to help with that transition, I offer my time. Uh, to you and uh, Elliot being a friend um, um, to fill in the pulpit on a Sunday morning. So in many ways, I'm really blessed and humbled to be here. Um, Elliot said I'm new. I, actually, I'm not new. Uh, this is my first time on Sunday to preach God's Word, but a few months ago, we had a men's retreat, which um, I was asked to come and share at the men's retreat. And I know there a very difficult season of uh, um, I was asked by the elders to help um, come up with the restoration and reconciliation process of a couple of leaders or a particular leader in this church who is no longer with you. And so you have been in my prayers. Um, and so even though I'm not new, I'm new on Sunday here, uh, I feel like I've known many of you for several uh, months. And with Elliot, I'm, I've known him way too long. No, I love Elliot. Uh, amen, amen. Yeah. E- Elliot and I are like, you know, uh, long lost brothers. Uh, you know, I-, I told him he's a brother from another mother. Amen. Uh, but with that, uh, let's get right into God's word. Amen. Uh, in the light of um, the sermon themes that Elliot shared with me in the past previous uh, guest speakers or preachers um, by Christ's heart, take it from Hebrews chapter 13, you've already heard the reading of scripture from chapter 13, verses 10 through 16. What I want to share with you today in title this message, Christ's heart for his church. For his church. What is Christ's heart for his church? Now, the key verses are verses 10 through 16, but I do want to cover, or try to cover, uh, the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, which is chapter 13. Now, if you've ever done a study in the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is. Well, we do know it's the Holy Spirit, amen? Okay, But who was the one who actually penned the writings of Hebrews? I tend to be a little biased. I believe it's the Apostle Paul. Okay, We could agree to disagree, but when we die, go to heaven, I'm going to be right, amen? I'm joking, okay? Uh, but it doesn't matter who the instrument was, right? What matters is the Holy Spirit is the final author. God is the author of the book of Hebrews. But if, like I said, if you went through a study or a preaching series, the book of Hebrews, which I went through with my church a couple years ago during COVID, in the heart of COVID, right? Uh, we went through the book of Hebrews. And if you're familiar with this cha- uh, book, the first thing is that the writer of Hebrew is Hebrews are trying to inform the recipient of this letter, listen. And it seems like that many of them were Jews who have come to Christ. They are, they are what they call it, Messianic Jews, okay? but still want to hold on to the old way of doing things, right? Many of us are like that. You might not be a Jew, but a lot of us have old habits that we don't want to give up. 
And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, Christ is better. Christ is greater. He talks about that Christ is greater than the holy angels. He talks about that Jesus is greater than Moses of chapter 3. He goes on to say that in chapter 4 that Jesus is our great high priest. And the Old Testament priestly services are temporary. But Christ is forever living priest that intercedes for you and I. He continues to say, make a comparison in chapter 7 of the priestly ministry of Melchizedek. But see, again, the writer of Hebrews saying, Jesus, our high priest, is a better covenant than the Old Testament. That the blood of goats and sheep could not take away sin. It only covered. So when Jesus arrived, when he began his ministry, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God not just covers sin, but takes away sin. Somebody say amen. Takes it all away. All the way. Forever forgotten. And goes on to say that Christ's sacrifice once for all is sufficient for salvation for those who repent and turn to Christ. Everybody's familiar with Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. Talks about all the great men and women who've done amazing things through faith. And then chapter 12. That says here that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So let us not grow weary. Let us run this race. Let's look to Jesus, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross despite in the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this same one, the same Jesus who died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, will return to us again. That we may be with him forever. And so I love this. This is so typical of Pauline, Paul's writing style, right? He gives great, solid, biblical theology, okay, orthodoxy, then he goes into orthopraxy, right living. Thus, we are at chapter 13. I only got three points this morning, just eight. I know, I haven't preached for like a couple months, so like I'm itching to preach, right? <laughs> and uh, I was trying to reduce it to three points, but uh, I got eight for you. Are you ready? Okay. Now, before we dive into that, let's look at the last two verses of Hebrews 12. It says, right, he, he sets up this great theology, who Jesus is, what he has done, and that he is the great high priest, that we should keep our eyes and hearts focused on him. And then it says here, right, verse 28 of Hebrews 12, therefore, now remember, when you read the Bible, when it says, therefore, pay attention. Because what? It's asking you to application. See, listen, for many of us who grew up in the church, we think the Bible is for your information. It's not just for your information. It's for our transformation. What good is it, James says, for you to hear God's word, but do not what? Do it. It is a dead faith. It is a demonic faith. A divine faith is a faith that hears God's word and you Apply it into your life. 
you apply it into your family. You apply it in your workplace. You apply it into your church. You apply it in every aspect of your life. So he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Say this with me. Acceptable worship. Now, why does the writer of Hebrew, right, try to clarify acceptable worship? Because they are unacceptable worship. They are worship that God does not receive. So he says, let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. I think in this generation, in, this, in many of our churches, we look at Jesus more as our BFF than the Lord himself. He is a consuming fire. He is a fire that will warm the hearts of those who are humble, or he is a fire that will consume and judge those who are proud and arrogant and sinful and rebellious and stiff-necked. Our God is a holy God. One of my favorite theologians is R.C. Sproul, God rest his soul. He talks about the Bible does not say that God is a thrice-loving God, right? Love, love, love. He doesn't say that, but it says over and over, our God is a holy God, holy, 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 a thrice-holy God. God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. And thus we call the, the Spirit the Holy Spirit. So what kind of worship is acceptable? It is a holy worship. That is acceptable. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because God has mercy upon us, because Christ died for us, because Christ shed his blood for us, because Christ conquered death and sin and resurrected from the dead. He says, therefore, the only reasonable, the only acceptable the only logical, the only thing that makes sense is that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The only worship that God accepts is a holy worship. Holiness. I mean, for the church and many Christians, the idea, the word holiness is a foreign concept. We, 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 the only time we use holy is like when we say holy cow, right? Quoted by Batman sidekick Robin. We think that holiness has this idea that you got to walk on cloud and, you know, and, and, and not, don't say anything. Like, you know, the three monkeys, don't see anything, don't hear anything, don't speak anything. God has not called us to be monkeys. Amen. Unless you believe in evolution. It's more like a 
Anyway, I don't want to get into that. The word holy basically means what? Separate. Separate from, see, God is holy because he is separate from his creation. God is holy because he is, he is separate from the, the, the humanity of sinful mankind. God is absolutely holy. Scripture says over and over, you will not see God unless you are holy. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Scripture says, be holy for I am what? Holy. So the ideal, the, the concept of holiness is to basically to devote yourself, to devote your heart, to devote your home, to devote your church for the service of God. That is what is acceptable to God. That's why, in, like, like I read in Romans 12, he mentions in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. See, the problem with the church is that we are too much like the world. See, most churches across America, because they're, what, consumer-driven. They are more concerned about feeling the pews. They want to be like the world. They want to do things or church as the worldly means, right? Beautiful lighting, smoke, flash, sermons that are waste of my time. It's not even a sermon. Maybe a few biblical references. Try to entertain people. Basically try to itch the ears of people. To, to appeal to their greed. To appeal to their pride. To appeal to their consumer materialism. No, we are not to be like the world. We are to be separate. The word church is what basically in the Greek means the ones who are called out of the world. Come on now. Come out of the world to be separate from the world, to be different from the world. We are to be strangers. We are to be pilgrims. This is a temporary place we're at. And we are to devote ourselves to Jesus. Fullheartedly. To love him with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and spirit. Holy, holy worship comes from a pure and devoted heart that is acceptable to God. For he is a thrice holy God. Like I mentioned to you, Isaiah the prophet had a vision of God in heaven. And the holy angels of God cried out. Okay, sorry, am I too loud? No, I don't apologize. Okay. Do a word study and preach. The word preach means to cry out. To preach the word in season and out of season. And the angels cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, which we just finished preaching through, the Apostle John saw a vision of God in heaven and four living creatures never cease. Never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He is a holy God. 
and God calls you and I to be holy. So, let's get to my first point. I guess I have eight points, so I got to get to my points, right? Amen. First of all, go to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. We see here a holy charity. A holy charity. Writer Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. And do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for therefore some have entertained angels unawares. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Remember I mentioned to you, okay, when we get from orthodoxy to orthopraxy, it means what? Not just for your information, but for your transformation. God is calling us for a holy charity. God calls us to love our brother and our sister. He's talking about brotherly love. Now, this is very interesting okay, because the Greek word here is phileo. Thus, we get the what, word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It is a conditional love in many sense. Okay? Now, people have this wrong idea, wrong concept that God loves us unconditionally. That's not true. Scripture has references of saying that God hates sinners. Hell is a place where God is manifesting his wrath and hatred to those who reject his son, Jesus. So even in the church, God calls us to love what? Conditionally. How so, Pastor Ed? Because why? Because why? Because part of loving God and a holy charity is church discipline. If someone is in church discipline, and they repent, and they humble, we accept them with full-heartedness. Amen? We do. Fully restore that person into the fellowship. If it's a leader, it does not mean there's no guarantee they could be put back in a leadership position. But they're welcome into the body of Christ to be a member once again. Amen? I didn't get it live. Amen. Amen. Okay. But if they reject church discipline, if they do not humble themselves, repent before God and, 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 and confess and repent before the people, we treat them as Jesus says, treat them like a non-believer. Excommunicate that brother. Because that brother, that sister who's in sin, in public sin, un refuse to repent, he is a cancer to the body of Christ. And he is in a apparel before a holy and righteous God. So that's why it says here, let brotherly love continue. It's conditional. It goes on to say, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Basically being hospitable. Now, some people, some of you are truly hospitable. You love inviting people to your place. And your joy is to cook and feed people. God bless you. Please give me your name and address after the service. Because I've been on a seafood diet since I was born. I eat what I see. Amen. Okay. 
Now, some of you are not known to be hospitable. Okay. Um, maybe it's your personality. I don't know, right? Maybe you had a bad day. Maybe you were in a, maybe this morning while you're driving to church, you had an argument with your wife because of your driving. Okay. I have that often. I don't drive fast. I just drive with a purpose. And so, and Sunday morning, my wife and I, we do not drive together. Because I want to be in a good mood on Sunday, amen? And I don't want to cause it to stumble before I preach on Sunday morning. <laughs> amen, brother? Okay. <laughs> but that being said, hospitality doesn't mean, you know, this, um, um, how would I say it? Uh, emotional or, or giddy feeling. Okay? Hospitality means basically treating somebody as you want to be treated. To be welcome, to be careful, to be a friend. And God calls the church to practice hospitality, which is holy charity. And then verse 3 says, remember those who are in prison, and though in prison with them. What does that mean? It's to talk about empathy. Right? Those who are in prison. I don't know if you have a prison ministry. I don't know if you know somebody in prison, you visit them. But it's the idea of remembering those who are what? Disenfranchised. For those who are in a difficult place. It might not be literal prison. I mean, some people are in a prison of their minds, aren't they not? Dealing with depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety. And God calls us to be what? Compassionate, empathetic, sympathetic. And those who are mistreated. Since you are also in the body, we are called, church, to practice holy charity. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 9 to 13, Let love be genuine. Abhorred what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with, again, brotherly affection. Just like let brotherly love continue in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I love this. Outdo one another in showing competition, showing honor. Listen, the Bible is not against competition. Competition is good. But what are you competing for? It says here, outdo one another in showing honor. And do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, a holy charity. Second, we get verse 4 in Hebrews 13. Holy matrimony. We get verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. This is a warning. And let the marriage bed be defiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. First of all, let me do a little quick survey. How many of you single? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Raise your rock, like, really high, okay? Okay? Just want to see who the singles are, okay? How many of you desperate to get married? Listen, first of all, let me tell you something, all right? We idolize the concept of marriage. Marriage is not that great. I've been married for 27 years. Let me tell you something. Marriage is not that great. Marriage is good. Jesus is great. 
I tell people all the time, especially young people in our church, don't get desperate to get married. All right? Paul even says that. It's better that you're single so you can serve the Lord. And while you're single, don't be desperate looking for a spouse. Be busy about doing the Lord's work. Right? You have so much more time, so much more opportunity. Man, when you get married, you know, we joke around, right? Balls and chains. Okay, it's true. You have responsibility to your wife. And when you get kids, oh, trust me, you got no life. Look at Elliot. (laughs) I love you, brother. Marriage is not that great. And you know people, how long they've been married, right? If you're just, how many have been married for less than, less than two years? Raise your hand. Less than two years. Any honeymooners? Okay. See, look at that. They're sitting together. I bet you they're sharing the same Bible. Give them, give them five years. They'll have their separate Bibles. Give them 10 years. They'll probably sit in different pews. Give them 20 years. They hope that one will go before them to the Lord. Amen. Now, I'm serious. Marriage is not that great. It's not. Young people have this wrong concept of marriage and get disappointed when they get married because what happens, right? When one sinner gets together with another sinner, sin adds up. And then when you get children, sin multiplies. It's true. Now, marriage is good. Paul says marriage is good. If you find a wife, that's a good thing. But remember, Jesus is great. But in here... Let marriage be held in honor among all. Not to idolize marriage or the concept of marriage. And by the way, when you and I die, you will, you will not be married to your spouse. Amen. <laughs> My wife loves that. She, she'll shout, hallelujah. But we are to hell marriage among us in honor. Why? Why? Are you following me here? Because when you read Ephesians, God chooses to use an earthly relationship called marriage between a male, biological, male with XY chromosome and female, biological female, right? With XX chromosomes, right? There's, I mean, I, I, I believe in I believe in God, and I do believe in science, truth, facts. Are are you with me? There's no, you know, X, Y, L, G, T, P, Q, W, S, 2, V chromosomes. There's only two chromosomes. Are you with me here? Okay. And we have to protect the idea, the biblical concept of marriage. We have to uphold it. We have to preach it. We have to teach it to our young people. But God uses an earthly relationship between a man and a woman called marriage, heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman so that marriage will reflect the relationship between the church and Christ. That's why it is so important that we uphold the honor among us the concept of marriage. It goes on to say, let the marriage bed be undefiled. What does that mean? It means, well, let me tell you what it means. Look at your verse. Well, it's the same verse, okay? It continues to say, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
it means that sexual expression is only to be expressed in the context in marriage. Anything outside of it, anything before it, is a sin. It is immoral. It is adulterous. And God will judge. God will judge. God will judge. I don't have time to go through the... You know what? Because I still got six more points. And I only got 30 more minutes to preach. All right? Do your own study in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in chapter 6, in chapter 7, the ideal of biblical marriage. But let me tell you something about this, this trend that's happening. Now, after retiring from the Army, um, uh, I came back home after 20 years. I grew up in the city of Cerritos, and um, I was offered to, to pastor uh, a ministry um, in Bonaparte. It is a predominantly Korean-American or Korean congregation. We have two services, the Korean-speaking. We call it KM, Korean ministry. I call it killer ministry. Okay. And I pastor the EM. It's called English ministry, but I call it easy ministry. <laughs> but that being said, when I got there, I had to approach and confront and rebuke Four couples in the church cohabitating. No one confronted them of that. So I had, the, uh, I had to do some cleaning up to do. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Now, two of them left the church. I'm okay with that. By the way, they didn't leave the church. God already left them. Come on. Two of them repented. They moved out and got married. And just see, but this is the this is the this is the logic a lot of people say today, right? What's wrong with cohabitating before marriage? Why? What's the answer? What did it say? We're going to get married anyhow. You know what I tell them? Then get married. And girl, don't give that boy that thing until that boy gives you that ring. Come on. Don't give up your love. Don't give up your heart. Don't give up that body to that boy, that man, until he gives you that ring. Amen. And if he doesn't give you that ring, drop that zero and find yourself a hero. Amen. Young people know what I'm talking about, right? Come on now. Here's how I tell people when they use this really stupid logic. What's wrong with cohabitating before marriage? You know, because we're going to get married anyhow, okay? Now, next week is Super Bowl Sunday, right? I'm not going to watch it because, you know, my Los Angeles Rams are not in there this year. Right? I know, how many, how many Rams fans, right? You know, I actually cried last Super Bowl because all these years, they were the L.A. Lambs. And finally, last year, they became the L.A. Champs. Come on. But think about it, right? Why is the Super Bowl so special? If you're an NFL fan or football fan, period, why is the Super Bowl so special? Because the regular season games and the playoff season games is not the Super Bowl. Think about it. Why should your marriage be any special if you're already cohabitating? 
you're already, what, celebrating the Super Bowl while you're playing a regular season game? God upholds marriage. It is sacred because marriage is supposed to reflect our relationship with the church in Christ. And when you minimize that, and when you take it down to your level and do what the world does, unholy, unsacred, then what? Your marriage is not special at all. Actually, to remind you again, God will judge those who are sexually immoral and adulterous. I mean, it's no secret, right? Can can, can I just be blunt with you all? First of all, I want to thank God that you, you, the church, did not leave after the whole debacle with a particular leader who was confronted of sin, refused to submit to elders' leadership and the church's leadership and resigned and left. Again, he didn't leave. God, God, God orchestrated. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He loves the church. He will purify the church. God moved in his heart. Just like God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God hardened his heart and kicked him out of the church. Or at least this local body church. Amen. You ought to be thankful for that. You ought to be grateful for that. I know some of you have relationship with this individual. I know that. And I, I know it was painful to see him and his wife leave. And, an, and his dad, who's an elder, left. Can I talk about this? That's okay. I'm not coming back next Sunday anyhow. <laughs> no, you don't know. Ellie and I, we, we, we talked so many hours about the frustration and, 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 and how much, how, not, not just frustration, how much it hurt his heart and you. Because the plan was to fully restore him back to the fellowship. But God hardened his heart. God is sovereign. Do, do, anybody here? Do you not believe God is sovereign? If God could harden Pharaoh's heart to display his glory, God could harden anyone's heart to display his glory. I believe God is preparing your church to do a great work of grace and mercy in your lives in this church community. I thank God that God is bringing a pastor that will shepherd you, love you, teach you, preach to you, and to disciple you. So rejoice. God is sovereign. God is the one who purifies his church. God is the one who works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is the sovereignty of God. Is this not a Reformed church theology? Do you not believe in the sovereignty of God? Amen. So we can rejoice. Yes, it hurt you, hurt your heart to see your brother leave. But again, it's not that he left. God, what? Separated him from you, from this church. We pray that he will come to repentance. Amen. We pray that he will be restored to a body of Christ. Okay. But woe is that man who refused to submit to authority, 
Because see, let me tell you something. If you are not willing to submit to authority, you have no business to be in a place of authority. I'm talking about the church. The reason why Jesus was put upon the highest place on the right hand of God is because he submitted to the Father. He submitted to God's will. He submitted to the authority, even to Pilate. Even to Pilate, a secular ruler. And thus God exalted him to the highest place. And so for a man or a woman refused to submit to church leadership, the elder bore, to the members, that person has no business to be in any place of authority. Amen. All right, I got to get to my third point. So we talked about holy charity, holy matrimony. Third, holy generosity. Look at verse 3. I'm sorry, verse, chapter 13, verse 5 through 6. Uh, by the way, Elliot, give me a um, two-minute warning, okay, when, when I need to wrap up, all right? Okay, I, 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 might, I might take heed to you, but uh, just give me two-minute warning, all right? Because we have communion, right? Okay. Okay, the third point, holy generosity. Look at verse 5 through 7. Keep your life free from love of money. And be, con- be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? First thing we see in verse 5 is keep your love, your life free from the love of money. How do you do that? How do we keep our lives free from the love of money? You know how you do it? By giving. By giving. If you're a member of this church, and I don't know what the bylaws are, what a covenant you guys have. If this church, right, requires you as a member to give 10% of the tithe of your Gross income, not your net, but gross. Not after you pay taxes to Caesar, but the gross income, and you refuse to do so, read, read the book of Malachi. You rob God. You are robbing God. See, the reason why God tells us in the Bible to give, to give, and to give generously, and to give regularly, and to give faithfully, because why you, when you give, you free your heart from greed, from the love of money. It is so easy to fall into the love of money. And so when you give regularly, faithfully, generously, with a cheerful heart, you are able to free yourself from the love of money. For the love of money, as Paul writes in Timothy chapter 6, is the root of all kinds of evil. And those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires, and plunge, plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I think this is a verse that Joel Osteen skips when he reads this Bible. Ain't it? These prosperity gospel preachers, wealth and health, they're, they're no preachers. They're false prophets. They're sheep. They're, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. But why do they have the biggest gathering? I don't even call it a church. Why? Because it appeals to their greed. 
It appeals to their what? Love of money. But you and I are called for holy generosity. To be free from greed is by, the free from the love of money is by being generous, by giving. And then second, to be content. What does content mean? It means as 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, right? We have came into this world with nothing. Let me translate it. This is, this is uh, EC version, Ed Choice version. But naked you came, but naked were you leaving. Amen. Nothing in this life you're going to take with you. Your jewelry, your stocks, cryptocurrency, none of it. None of it, right? We are born naked and we leave this life naked. So why hold on to it? Give it away. But give it wisely. Just don't give it away. Give it to good causes for missions and for the church. When your pastor comes here, I hope and you will be generous towards your pastor and his family. I don't mean that he'll be the next Joe Osteen. I'm just saying that, what? A laborer is worthy of his work. Do not muzzle the oxen. I'm just preaching Bible here, guys. Okay, if you don't believe me, just read, read the Bible. But see, the way we become a holy generosity and practice holy generosity is to be content, meaning be thankful. Why? And then it, this is interesting, because to remind you that I will never leave you nor forsake you, because what? means God will always be with you. Some of you are struggling financially. Some of you probably had a really bad season with your business. First of all, she's going to remind you that these things, these earthly wealth are temporary. It'll come and go. Oh, I remember what Jesus said, right? Do not treasure things on earth for moth, destroy, for thieves come and steal. But where your heart is, where your treasure is. And our treasure is Jesus. He's our only treasure. He's our only true wealth. That's why we're reminded here, I will never leave you nor forsake you, meaning God will provide for your needs, not your greed. And Paul says, if we have clothing and food to eat, we ought to be what? Content. For the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So we are called to practice holy generosity. Number four, look at verse seven and eight, holy authority. It says here, verse seven, remember you leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And I love this, verse eight, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, people love that verse, isn't it? I mean, you have like churches uh, on big banners, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. Amen. But what's the context of this? What's the context of this? It's a context is about church leaders. So if you're a church leader, if you're an elder, if you're called to be a pastor, maybe you're a teacher of this church, you serve in a public light as a leader, remember Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the one you ought to keep your heart and focus on you, on him, for he will keep you as a leader. He will show you what a leader looks like. 
a servant leader, a sacrificial leader, a loving leader, a courageous and bold leader. But he's also writing to those who are under leadership, those who spoke to the word of God, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Now, yes, we follow Jesus, amen? We do, right? Okay? But could you and I as leaders say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ? Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not there yet. I continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue to imitate who Jesus is, for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not shifty, right? You, you ever have people who are leaders who are shifty? One day they're this way, next day they're that way. There's no stability. There's no anchor. There's no foundation. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means as you and I as leaders, we can look to Jesus as our example. And for those who are under leadership, you can look to your leaders who follow Jesus. For Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. It is a holy leadership. It's a holy authority. You know, I heard that um, I'd like to pick on Elliot because he's my friend. I'm not picking on him. He's going to go into the ministry. He said he applied for seminary, and I told him, guard your heart. Okay, because listen, seminary will fill your mind but if you don't guard your heart, your seminary experience might be your cemetery. I have seen many men called to the ministry, learn, grow in their head knowledge, but their heart, their heart has hardened. And they come out of seminary more dead in their faith than alive. So pray for Elliot. Pray for your new pastor coming in. That God will guard his heart. That will guard his family. That will guard, that God will guard his marriage. Let me tell you something, right? Elliot and his beautiful wife and family, the enemy will come against them. So cover with them, will you? Pray for them. Uphold them in your prayers. Support them. Prayerfully, spiritually. And yes, I have no shame saying this because I'm not going to come back next Sunday. Support them financially. Man, would it be a blessing if Elliot goes to school without any debt? You know what? A lot of pastors fall into greed and love of money because they come out of seminary with tons of debt, and they're worried about paying up that debt and trying to make schemes to to steal and rob and make money to pay off the debt, it ought not to be. Amen. And Elliot's not even paying me anything for this. Amen. Pray for him. Support him. For it is a holy calling and it's a holy authority as you look to Jesus. All right, I got 10 more minutes. Fifth, it's a holy, it's a holy theology. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, 9. Verse 9, do not, let, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Now, I just covered that a little bit. You know, like when, when men go to seminary and their hearts are full with truth and knowledge, I mean the head, but the heart is not what? Strengthened by grace. So he says here, do not be led astray 
or led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. I don't want to get into that about eating food or not eating food. There was a whole discussion at that church time about could we eat food? Could we eat meat that's offered by idols? And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians, okay? But Paul says that, you know, for the, those who are weak in conscience, you know, if I, me eating food or me offered by idols is going to cause them to stumble, I would never eat food because, right, the kingdom of God is not about food. It's about love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. But that being said, you and I will not go astray because we have the right theology. You and I will go astray if your hearts are not strengthened by grace. If your heart has not been touched by the grace of God. If your heart is not full with the grace of God, the love of God, the joy of God. I have met pastors and I've been at churches. They have all the right theology. By the way, Satan has all the right theology. He knows Doctrine better than you and I know doctrine. Now we all uphold biblical doctrine. We preach biblical doctrine. We, 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 we teach it and we preach it and, and we are defender of biblical doctrine. But it must be not only the head, but it must be our hearts who love Jesus. Remember the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation? What did Jesus have against the church of Ephesus? They fought against false teachers. They were defenders of the faith. They have many apologist. By the way, that doesn't mean you apologize for the faith. It's to defend the faith. But he had this against them. What? You have left your first love. You have left your first love. Your love for Jesus. Sometimes we love Jesus for, for what he's about. Or we love Jesus for what he, the ideal, the concept of the, 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 our ideals or our understanding of Jesus. But again, God does not want to be analyzed. God wants us to worship him with our hearts. So a holy theology is knowing who God is through the understanding of scripture, but also knowing him from his heart. You know, right? On the concept of marriage, the Bible says, like, Adam knew who? Eve. The, the whole idea of knew or know in the, uh, in the Bible is meaning that you know this person intimately. But we think in many times in our churches, Christians, that it's just good enough to have sound doctrine and sound teaching, which is essential. It is essential for the health of the church, but it's to know him from your heart. I mean, doesn't this convict you? It convicts me when Jesus says, in the last day, many will come and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name. Lord, Lord, we cast demons in your name. They probably knew Jesus in their heads. And Jesus says, Get away from me. I don't even know you. I don't know you. Do you know Jesus is my question today. Do you have a holy theology? Do you know him? Do you adore him? Do you worship him? 
Do you praise Him, both public and private? If you can only worship God in public, you're a hypocrite. That's what Pharisees were good at. They were great at displaying their religious activity to what? To the public, but in their hearts, they were like dead man bones, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, Pharisees. May we not be that way. Amen? I'm going to wrap this up. My last two, last two points. Hebrews 13, verse 10 and 16. Holy community. This is the verse that was read in the scripture text reading. I don't want to get too much here because the time is short. But I want us to focus on verse 15. Holy community, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are what? Pleasing to God. Does your church strive to be a holy community that continues to offer up sacrifices of praise to God through the lips, for the fruits of the lips, which comes from your heart, doesn't it? And and it says here in verse 16, and do not neglect to do good. To share what you have for such sacrifices that are pleasing to God. Why is community so essential? Because God in the perfect trinity was in perfect community and created man in, in his image to be in community. Not just any community, not just a social club, not just a gathering, but a holy community. Whereas Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 describes, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And verse day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is a holy community, church. When you gather on Sunday morning, we are before a holy God, and this is a holy gathering. Amen? When you get with somebody at home or you open your home for a Bible study or small group ministry, that is a holy community. Remember that. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. Rather, it could be a coffee shop. It could be here. It could be in your home. It could be outside a park. When you're together, remember, you are gathering under a holy God that makes it a holy community. And finally, did I get that two-minute warning yet? Now, perfect. The last and final point, it's a holy conformity. Look at verse 17 to 18. Now, we mentioned a little bit, right, Paul? I mean, the writer of Hebrews um, about leaders. But look at verse 17. It says, obey your leaders. 
and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over their souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, let me tell you something. I have a lot of pastor friends. Many of them are burnt out. Many of them can't wait till they retire. Many of them, they want to leave the pastor ministry. When I was in Baylor University, I had seven friends who were Bible majors. Now, by the way, Baylor stands for Biblical Institute of Los Angeles. Now it's more like the Business Institute of Los Angeles. Rarely any young people go to Baylor to be biblical majors. Out of those seven friends, guess who are still in the ministry? including myself, those seven friends, we, would call, we, we used to call ourselves the Magnificent Seven. We used to go around hunting for psychology majors <laughs> to tell them the scripture is sufficient. Amen. With that being said, out of a seven, only three of us are still in the ministry. You know why pastors leave the ministry? It's not just because of their own sin that they disqualify themselves. It's because their people refuse to submit to their pastoral authority. I mean, look at what it says here. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You know what breaks my heart as a pastor? What gets me up and stay up late at night is that stubborn, foolish, selfish, sinful sheep. And I have to remind myself, Sheep are stupid. Sheep are stupid. Sheep are stupid. So I need to be more patient. I need to be more kind. I need to be more gentle. I need to be like the good shepherd. But see, shepherds are called to keep over your souls. So may their ministry be a joy, not a burden. Don't drive them out of the church because of your foolishness in your pride, in your stubbornness. Oh, how many pastors have been burnt out and left the church and ministry because their people did not love their pastor well. I hope you will not be that way. I hope your new pastor would have much joy and much encouragement and much joy in serving you. And may you, my prayer for you, is that you, under his leadership in his pastoral ministry, you will grow in the grace and knowledge of you. And to be a holy conformity, to submit to pastor leadership, to elder leadership, which is what? Biblical leadership. That's why you, elders, I call upon you to be biblical. Always be biblical. And love God with all your heart. And those who feel called to be elders of the church, examine your heart. Examine where you're at. Don't take this calling as an elder or leader of this church lightly, for you and I will receive a greater what? Judgment. But we are called to submit to pastoral and biblical leadership to, for holy conformity. Look at verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored 
to you sooner. In conclusion, actually it's my last point, holy maturity. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you to mature you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God wants his church to grow, to be equipped, and to mature to a holy maturity. As you submit to biblical authority, as you faithfully serve one another, as you look to Jesus, who is the risen Savior. Let me conclude with this quote, and I promise Elliot, because he looks like Charles Spurgeon, um, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Some go to church to take a walk. Some go there to laugh and talk. Some go there to meet a friend. Some go there for their time to spend. Some go there to meet a lover, or in some cases, to find one. Some go there a fault to cover. Some go there for speculation. Some go there for observation. Some go there to doze and nod. But the wise go there to worship a holy God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. And as we prepare our hearts to take holy communion, that we are reminded in the book of Hebrews of our calling to be holy for a holy charity, for a holy matrimony, for a holy generosity, to be under holy authority, to live out holy theology, and to be in holy community, and to conform to a holy conformity, and to grow, to be a holy, mature saints in the kingdom of God. But Lord, we acknowledge that none of us are able to do all these things by our own strength or ability. But it's only through your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we're able to live these things out. Lord, we cannot do it, so we look to you. We depend on you. We rest on you. We surrender ourselves to you, to the great and good shepherd. Lord, shepherd our hearts. Lord, lead us. Lord, we are all like sheep, stubborn and foolish and stupid in many ways. Lord, keep us in this path, for this is the narrow path that leads to life and eternal life. So we surrender ourselves to you. And Lord, I commit this church to you. I commit this church to a holy calling in a wicked and perverse generation. 
to live a life so different, so separate, that the world will be in awe of this body, this local church here. Lord, I just commit ourselves to you as we prepare a time of communion. Lord, help us examine our hearts once more. If there's sin, maybe confess our sin. Lord, if there's any unforgiveness, may we remember what you did on the cross to forgive others of what they have done against us. Lord, help us to take and partake of this holy communion in a way that honors and glorifies you. I pray all this in Jesus' name.